Hello, Governor. It's it's John Sherman, and this is this is the Nightcap Podcast, a podcast where I come to yous and I talk to yous about all things that I find interesting. Today, I have an interesting show. Um, I've just been doing other audio stuff for the past like it's been three hours now. So we'll see if I can actually do this in one take or if my brain explodes. But uh, barring any issues. <laughs> I'm excited for a good show today. Before we start, I also want to say, uh, go listen to All of the Lights by Kanye West. It was an extremely famous pop song, and I, I never really had given it enough credit. If you go listen to the song, it is masterfully produced. It's such intricate. There's 13 vocalists, Elton John on the keys, and the likes of uh, uh, Rihanna, uh, Bon Iver, um, just a literal like star-studded cast of people helped to create this song. It's a beautiful song, so go listen to that. Um, that's completely unrelated, but this is my show, so I don't want to hear it from you, okay? I'm going to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And today I want to talk about something precarious, something deadly, something terrifying. It's monsters. Ooh. So yeah, that's that's that. We're going to talk about monsters uh, in culture. We're going to talk about in all senses of the word. So before, without further ado, this is the show. Let's play that intro. I'm probably going to make some cool-ass intro for this one. So hoops, let's turn it over to you, John. Let's get into it. Today, I'm going to talk to you guys about monsters, monsters and culture. Um, what makes a monster? Why monsters exist? What does monster mean? Is it just an energy drink? Is it more than that? Who knows? We'll see. So uh, today, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. And I guess before I get into it or too much, I should, we should get on the same page about monsters. Monsters are, at a very basic level, creatures that go against or counter contradict the laws of nature as we know them. They are um, abhorrent creations of the netherworld, um, some frequently categorized um, as a combination of human, animal, or extraterrestrial parts. Um, frequently and throughout history, um, they're composites of various animals, humans, beasts, m monsters of faraway lands, or lands close at home. Um, and there's a lot of examples of these in history, famous examples such as dragons, werewolves, vampires, um, griffins, if you want to talk about Greek mythology, which we will. Um, and, they're, and they're pretty consistent aspects of culture. So I'm going to start in a moment with history. Before I get into history, I want to talk just for a minute about why I think monsters have existed in culture so much. Um, some see it as 
like kind of the inverse of religion maybe, which is seen as kind of, well, it's part of religion, but say the idea of God is um, the idea of hope in human culture and it's this embodiment of hope in like the future and all that. Whereas monsters tend to embody fear and the unknown or the powerless part of human nature. I think this stems back all, all the way as far as, you know, early man, um, back when we were still pretty much monkeys. Because we have, for millions and millions of years, we have been these little ape dudes, right? And we've never been the physically most domineering predators. We're not, we weren't predators in a traditional sense of what, you know, there's these things called like hell pigs, which is one of the largest predators in North America. And the hell pigs were crazy. Their, their jaws could snap the bones of almost any other animal on the planet. They would run fast, these big hulking masses. That is a top predator. We weren't like that. Uh, and so as a result, I think that our species was forged through fear and, like, cunningness, right? Our ability to think and grow to in a situation better than maybe other animals. But I think that the idea of the monster stuck with us because we were consistently kind of fearful. You know, at any given time, there was physical threats all around you. And so we've kind of grown through that. So I think the idea of fear and monsters stems from that innate um, aspect of, well, humanity and what we used to be. Um, so I think that's why monsters exist on a personal, individual level. And I think on a society, societal level, they exist to teach and to show uh, humans, especially little boys and girls, um, pretty much like, what's up? Why, you know, to try to figure out um, like what not to do. Um, they're used as stories to explain, um, similar to religion. And a lot of times they've been a part of religion. If you look at things like Greek and Roman mythology, monsters are insanely popular whether it's the you know the sirens or the minotaur or blah 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 you name it the cyclops there's many monsters that are in, in, insanely there are parts of the stories that are pretty intense um and i and, and well i guess i won't get into it too much because i want to, that's the history part but pretty much yes yeah. so today we're going to be talking about monsters and their role in human culture why they exist why they've existed predominantly across all sorts of culture maybe some of its causes Etc. 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 So, let's get into some history. This is the boring stuff. So, if you're one of those, if you're reading this, if you're listening to this while you're speeding down the highway at 90 miles an hour in your car or something, maybe this part's gonna bore you. But um, for all you homeboys, oh my, I have a sunburn. It's just peeling. Uh, so, let's get into what the word monster for all you entomological, whatever however you say that word, people. The word monster derives from the Latin word monstrum. Similarities there, which is itself derived ultimately from the verb maneo. I think that's how you pronounce that. I ain't speak Latin. Which means to remind, warn, instruct, or foretell. Huh. It's pretty interesting. I'm going to cut through this definition a little bit. Just say that's exactly what I was just talking about. Um, it's these things. They're, they're omens. It's this, they're symbols more than anything. They're symbols to other problems. Whether it's as realistic as, you know, maybe werewolf being a sign of days of old where the, with the wolves and the dire wolves <laughs> that we'd face off. Um, but also they can be as uh, complex as something like vampires, which is not really derived from an animal, more like a state of being and more, uh, you know, certain fears of death and the undying. And you could talk about even getting into masculinity versus femininity, et cetera, et cetera. But I digress. Um, and mon and, and, and it, it, the word of monster denotes anything strange, singular, contrary to the usual course of nature by which the gods give notice of evil 
um, or a strange, unnatural, hideous person, animal thing, or any monstrous or unusual thing, which is kind of a cop-out in my opinion. So monster is pretty much a catch-all for all the creepy, crawly, scary, nasty things that you don't want to deal with. Um, and so far in the world, we've, well, I'll get more into that, but we've had a very small amount of actual monster sightings. It seems that most of these were uh, uh, the result of human beings snowballing fear off of each other. And also maybe there are some... There are some. There's even some proof of some animals that may have gone against. You know, oh, that octopus is way bigger than any octopus we've ever found before, and that's what they. That's what they saw, or there's this animal who is like a. You know, the last living. Spe- oh, it's two hundred year old reptile or something that you didn't know what it was. So sometimes we see, there's histories and examples of like deer with one antler in the middle of their heads and things. If you go to Washington D.C., you can see that. Um, so sometimes I think it's a mixture of that or maybe a particularly aggressive um, predator animal. But I think most of the time it is just word of mouth and no one's themselves actually seen it. Any of these monsters, they're just kind of passed down as story. But to get into history a little bit, for all you folks at home that like to listen to me talk about stuff that's not just my own BS, um, I'm going to start at the beginning, uh, Cradle of Civilization. we got Mesopotamia. Um, and same with Egypt, their monsters were a part of life. They were you would they were almost like gods. Um, in some ways, they were some of the gods were in some ways monsters. Um, they'd be they'd give gifts to them. They'd ward their houses and their cities off from them, just like just like everything else. But you also had the uh, three large monotheistic religions of ancient Yore, um, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Didn't really talk that much about monsters. Um, if you talk about the Old Testament, they kind of exclude the idea of monsters, and for the most part, so does the New Testament. Um, though there are, you know, monsters like the Behemoth and Leviathan who are discussed, and I think that the idea of this is to to for these religions, monotheism relies on the idea that your deity is the only powerful thing; it's the sole powerful thing. These polytheistic religions didn't, like Egypt and Greek and stuff, they didn't really care as much. It was already clear that power was divided among many people. So having monsters exist didn't really take away from that. But for monotheistic religions, like God, you had to recognize that God was the only powerful being. And then maybe after that you had things like, you had the devil maybe as, as, as another force, but the devil exists as the exception to prove why you should listen to God. If you had a bunch of other powerful deities running around and I'm talking I mean even angels are off to do God's bidding and you can maybe make the argument that monsters would be doing the devil's bidding but um, to have other the more creatures like this that you have outside of your realm and outside of your control as a monotheistic religion the more people may oh I'm actually think that little monster demon dude is pretty cool maybe I want to follow him I think with monotheistic religions it's important to consolidate your power but with polytheistic religions where they've already done away with that and that's not what keeps the religion going who cares about monsters they just serve as maybe negative bouncing points so that might explain a little bit why um though in the new testament there are aspects of monsters like the seven headed seven headed beasts um like uh later stories of christianity include things like saint church jousting a dragon um, a Tarasque, uh, who was uh, attained by St. Martha, and so on and so forth. Though in the pagan world of Greece and Rome, there was a f- more fluidity. Um, I, I'm not sure why. Maybe it was just because of the style of like life. If you look at Greek uh, and then eventually Roman mythologies, Earth, uh, not mythologies, empires were much more open artistically. They were much more open sexually um, and things like that. And so maybe that 
helped the society to ex- accept monsters more. Because if you look at Greek mythology, there's some weird stuff. Whether it's a woman mating with a bull to create a half-bull minotaur or anything else, there's a lot of examples of some weird monsters or even gods being creepy. It's very incestuous, things like that. And I always cur- I'm always curious as to why those differ so greatly from like Islam and the Old Testament. Um, I'm not sure. I guess it's just a cultural thing, but I find it interesting how staunchly different where... Um, if a Christian were to read, if an, or not a Christian, if a ancient um, Jewish person, I guess, uh, uh, was to look at um, Greek text, I mean, that must read like Fifty Shades of Grey to them. It's crazy the amount of stories, um, the amount of pride and smut you'd see maybe that you wouldn't be used to. Um, if you look even at like the Hindu gods, um, they had it's similar to Egyptian gods where their gods weren't humanoid, which is another interesting concept. They have, like, in the Hindu gods, there's extra limbs, uh, the head of an elephant. Egyptian gods had, like, Anubis, who was a jackal person, um, and, and, and other gods like that who had feline characteristics or avian characteristics. And I've always found that interesting, too, because I think that these societies value gods less as, like, oh, these are depictions of ourselves. But since there were so many, maybe they were depictions of parts of ourselves, and I guess humans... They, Given that, humans may be able to find parts of themselves in many different types of animals around them. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting, and I'd love to go into this more, but this is what the podcast is about. But the idea of the way humans interpret religion and like make it stand out to them, to me, is very interesting. I think that monsters are the other side of that coin. For every god, there is a monster, and the monster equally demonstrates a part of humanity, whether it's Frankenstein's, uh, you know, the garishness of human society or the ability to hive mind or to judge someone by something other than their looks. Um, we already talked about vampires or uh, werewolves maybe being the more animalistic and uncontrolled nature of humans. There's a lot of different monsters. and I think a lot of the ones that are humanoid have something to do with us and they're a part of our fear. Whether it's a part of us that we fear or it's a part of us that we lack. Uh, I think that's the important part of a monster. What makes a good monster is something that either morphs a negative aspect of humankind or takes an aspect of humankind that we're not aware of, we don't possess, and uh, translate that into something that will scare us because it's different than us. I think it's a very important part of uh, cryptozoology or, or monster making that uh, I think if you get that wrong, you can't have a good monster. And some of the best monsters do that. Um, so yeah, so I think that's a pretty good take. Um, some other uh, monsters that maybe have a different backing that we maybe won't think of them as monsters are things like mermaids, trolls, leprechauns, fairies, um, which are more, again, nature-based, and these might come from societies that are more into nature, um, these might come from societies with a, you know, different style of nature that was more involved into their daily life, um, but, but yeah, monsters tend to take the shape of things around us, because I, what fear is greater than daily fear? I mean, if you had a, stories of monsters like a it's like alien stories to me are less scary because an alien's gonna come from space. It's never that, that's not gonna happen. The odds of an alien coming down from space, no one's ever really seen it before, and boom, that reads like science fiction. But a monster can come from your backyard. A monster can come from the dark road at night, um, and frequently monsters' powers don't man. The power of a monster story doesn't manifest in the moment. It's not as scary when you're watching the movie or when you're around the campfire. The scariest part of a monster story is a couple hours later when you're by yourself. 
when you're walking home or you're in your um, camping bag by yourself and it's dark out. That's when a monster has become scary because then you see what the monster actually embodies. As opposed to being a part of a story, you get to see the part of your psyche that that monster embodies. And that's why monsters are terrifying. If you look like it, a modern monster, uh, the clown Pennywise um, is the amalgamation of fear as a whole. So he's the monster's monster, I'd say. Um, and the scariest part of it is like, it's not when you're in the movie theater or on TV, I guess, if you're watching the older one. It's when you leave and you're like outside walking to your car and you just think about Pennywise's weird ass little smile coming out of the, behind the tree in the dark and saying, hey, you wanna, like that kind of thing. Uh, and, and then, you know, it gets you thing, you know, I'm gonna freaking float too, dude, that's terrifying. Um, so I think that's another cool part of Monsters that is different than any other genre. Even in the horror genre, other horror movies to me aren't as scary because you have, oh, it's paranormal ghosts. Well, it's not going to happen. No one's seen a ghost. But I've seen a wolf. I've seen a coyote. And then, oh, okay, I can imagine a werewolf. I can imagine that kind of stuff more so than I can imagine a paranormal demon. So I think that monster stories are like the best kind of horror. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I think it's a, it's pretty... I think it's pretty interesting. To me, another interesting part of horror, and this is something I didn't really think about until I started researching this episode, is what, where's the line? Because somewhere along the line, we stop being afraid of monsters in a real sense. So when did that ha- when do we go from ancient monsters are a part of our religion to now monsters are an antiquated part of entertainment? Um, if you look at the Renaissance, um, there was the discipline of science became more widely practiced, and this people started to try to categorize in monsters, explain the monsters, especially like seafaring monsters that the sailors talked about, or the far eastern monsters that people discussed uh, while well, on those you know Silk Trail stuff like that, Silk Road, Silk Road and stuff like that. Um, but eventually, by the 17th century, people were having serious doubts about monsters. And you saw this because cartographers' maps started to fade the monsters away from the edges and stuff like that. And you had a lot of, you know, this kind of cultural shift of, like, what is a monster. But this changed in the 1800s when, um, I guess, this changed when Romanticism hit. Romanticism was this big literary movement, and that's what I'm going to talk about next. Um, That led to a whole new modern folk version of monsters and it started with Frankenstein which was the first famous monster book um, and also Dracula came as well uh, Dracula's fucked up too if you haven't read Dracula Dracula's crazy um, just a couple scenes at one point uh, Dracula opens up his own chest to try to get them to drink his blood at another point um, a, when uh, he first enters the castle um, these two like vampire women try to seduce him, and they want to have sex with him. And uh, he and um, when Dra- like Dracula comes down, and throws him a bag with a baby in it to satisfy their hunger, and they go off and eat the baby in the corn. I mean, that's this is stuff that's fucked up from a perspective of even today. So think back then, back before women could show their ankles, and when swearing was punishable by death. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, back then, that's crazy talk. I'm, I'm super surprised that existed in the culture. And I'm very happy that it did because that stuff pushes the boundaries. I think it's very important to do. It's something that I'm always a huge fan of. 
Um, but this started to change with stories from the Brothers Grimm and other uh, authors like that started having, again, the modern monster and uh, monsterdom kind of changed there um, in the 1800s into the 1900s and eventually today. Though I would say that the 1900s changed monsters forever and rendered them pretty much useless. Um, but it's a growing field today. However, in closing through the history, there's a field today that's growing called cryptozoology, which I mentioned earlier, which is the study of creatures that may or maybe don't exist. Um, and they have everything from Chupacabra, Loch Ness Monster, Jersey Devil, Yetis, uh, Bigfoot, aliens. Cryptozoology is pretty much all that creepy stuff that you make fun of the people that believe in it. Uh, I've, I guess a couple quick anecdotes. Um, when I was in high school, the grade above us had a little Bigfoot. I don't know if they actually went out, but... Um, they tried to start a little Bigfoot club. It was, it was funny, too. It was popular kids. It wasn't anyone weird. It was actual kids. And I get the allure of that, like, monster hunting. You're not going to find anything, but it's the idea, it's like the ancient human, like, hunter, um, hunting for, like, survival and necessity idea. Um, I think it's a very interesting, like, ideal. I was actually in... I was actually in, a, not a bar, but, like, a ca- cafe the other day during an open mic and this guy sat next to me, this older dude, and it was the weirdest experience of my entire fucking life. This guy sat down next to me, older dude, with like classic, I can't think of what the hat said, but like one of those, not MAGA hats, but you know, similar kind of boomer humor hat. And uh, he's good old red-blooded American, you can kind of tell. And uh, he pulled out this briefcase and he opened up his like, uh, his like laptop, his old like IBM laptop, ThinkPad, and as I was booting up, we started talking. He seemed nice enough. He seemed like an interesting guy. He was talking about where I grew up. I'm from, like, upstate, um, and I, I'm from, like, a rural area. So he was talking to me about what it was like where I was from, you know. Oh, like, have you? what kind of animals are out there? You know, I talked about, oh, have you seen coyotes? Yeah, yeah. We get to talking. And it's kind of weird, not a big deal. And his, his computer starts up, and he starts telling me stories that started getting weird. He's talking about how he's a hunter and he likes to go explore in the woods and look for tracks and stuff. And uh, he's like, uh, he has like these tags he pulls out, like animal tags. And I started to get some weird feelings, but I couldn't really tell what it was. And then it became clear to me that he was talking about monster hunting. He asked if I'd ever seen anything weirder than a regular animal. And he talked about his experiences like with other animals. And he was knocking on the and they'd knock back, and he was talking about having out food. And he, didn't, and he, he said he never actually saw it, but he knows it was there for a fact. And I think it was hilarious. He was looking up, like, dog men on his laptop, which... Uh, excuse me. Which I'd never heard of. Dog men? That's crazy. Um, and so, so I kind of ran into my first experience with a real-life monster hunter, which kind of threw me off. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm going to take a break just for a second here. But um, we're going to talk about uh, horror and monsters in literature in a second here, the advent of the horror genre in literature, and then how that changed into entertainment, which has changed the monster genre forever. And we're going to wrap it up with um, the idea of demonization in culture and uh, modern monsters. So monsters in literature are a interesting concept. Um, it's kind of a strange medium, I think, because a lot of the, to me, draw and appeal of monsters are visually or 
if not visually, if you look even at something like uh, live storytelling, you can at least get the idea of the monster a little better. To me, the idea of monster in a book is, is kind of a difficult thing to, it's, it's hard because you have to illustrate a, 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 a being that's it's freakish in nature and, and you, get, you don't get the, the side of visuals on your side. Um, but there's some common themes that show up in a lot of different monster mediums. Um, the idea of science, obviously. Um, and I think that's just because science is the, like, purposefully pushing away from nature. And I mean nature in its truest sense, like the way humans are supposed to live or meant, like, naturally to live. And so with that push away from what is natural comes the idea of the uh, unnatural, abhorrent creatures. Um, so that's an obvious one. The ideas of isolation and loneliness are also pretty uh, popular um, because, I don't know, I think that the idea of fear is isolating. Like, when you're afraid, you fear you're alone. Like, it's a lot harder to be afraid when you're with people, and if you're afraid when you're with people, it's easier for you to draw in and to feel those feelings of isolation. And I still think it's really easy to, whether you isolate the people in, like, oh, um, you're trapped in this house, or you're, if you look at, like, Blair Witch Project, you're in these woods and you can't really get out. Um, or you separate the characters and they're isolated. Scooby-Doo looking at you. Um, that, that is that idea of fear, as well as, and, and loneliness is a similar idea. Um, and then also maybe the ideas of duality, whether it's things like werewolves, which are half-human, half-other, uh, any kind of half-human, half-other animal, um, anything like that is duality, as well as things like Jekyll and Hyde, which I guess I'll, I, I should start at the beginning. Um, some of the most famous examples of these, uh, some of those famous examples of horror stem from um, the 1800s, weirdly enough. I don't, I, I guess because of romanticism um, in the 1800s, but it starts with Frankenstein, which is about Dr. Victor Frankenstein, who he creates a monster by using other body parts of other monsters, puts them together, blah, 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 deserts the, the guy, the monster who is kind of, is, is starts to torment um, the doctor and his family, which creates the villagers to be af- become afraid. And eventually he is uh, dropped off in, Antar- or in the Arctic, which is kind of a weird ending. I think it's really cool to imagine like him still walking around. He's undead, so he doesn't really need much to survive. Um, then this is also Dracula, which I've already talked about a bit, um, but the idea of the vampire and Dr. Van Helsing and all that. And that was in 1897, um, just after the story that is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is a very interesting, in my opinion, story, because um, the monster is within humans as opposed to outside. And it's one of the few examples of early literature where the monster is coming from within as opposed to the monster being outside. Um, and this is also, uh, there's another similar concept is the uh, face of the portrait of Dorian Gray, which is a book and movie um, from, I can't think of the year right now, I think early 1900s, about a guy, evil sociopath, who steals the youth from those around him um, and like high, his all his sins, and uh, which would have aged him, as, are hidden in this portrait. At the end of his life, the portrait, you know, he takes back all his sins from the portrait and it makes him age instantly and die. Ooh, super freaky. Um, and then into the uh, 1900s, you have I Am Legend, which is a 1954 novel whose last human on Earth in a fortified house. And there's these vampiric kind of, I guess, living dead vampires on Earth. Uh, but that's another interesting uh, uh book that features a lot of stuff and if you've probably seen the movie I'm going to be honest so why the hell am I still talking about it but a lot of these have the idea of hopelessness 
the idea of uh, humanity dying or like the world as you know it coming to an end. I think this stems as a mixture between ancient fears like I've talked about of more intense predators and then mixed with the idea of cultural shifting and how scary that can be for people because I think everyone deals with, I think there's two phase, two or three phases in everyone's life. There's the uh, indoctrination phase when you're young where you develop the world around you and what society should be and every generation has like this is what society should be. This is what the peak society is, best society is. Whether you're living in it or you simply are like looking forward towards it, in these first 20 years, you kind of develop that sense. And then for the next 20 years, you experience that culture change. And, and you go through this phase of hardening. Uh, I guess I don't know a better word for it, but it's this phase of hardening against the outside world around you. So as you age, you start to question more the things around you as society changes you begin to start to feel outdated and you will push as hard as you can to keep what you think is right that's kind of the hardest phase the the phase of most resistance and then you get into this phase when you're older for the next 20 or 30 years where you feel in my opinion most likely out of touch and that's where the fear sets in that fear of societal change the fear of the world looking different than it used to be oh my god like if you look at 70 year olds now you go how is how close is life now to the way it was when you were a kid they'd be like fuck off it's so different obviously um and so i think that's a big aspect of horror is change there um but i i think that in lit we also have like the work of edgar Allan poe who didn't do with monsters but had i i guess the idea of humans are, are monsters um but i think that Horror and literature is kind of impossible nowadays. I think the idea of modern literature having monsters is, is, is pretty hard to do, and that's because of, in my opinion, the 20th century. If you look into the 20th century, um, entertainment became huge. And with the onslaught of television and movies becoming normal and part of everyday culture, you saw less storytelling. For the first time in all human history, storytelling kind of died out outside of the medium of entertainment. And the idea of entertainment is so obviously fictional because it's on a television screen. You can't really convince someone that TV's real. Like, it's not as easy as maybe a story was in days of old where you could talk about, oh, I know this guy, and he went through this story. And you can't really tell what's real or fake. With this, it's all fake. Clearly, there's cameras and producers and actors, no matter what you do. Uh, so it was something like Blair Witch Project, which people weren't really sure if that was a real movie or if that was like a actual found footage. But that kind of eliminated the idea of, of monsters in a traditional sense because all of a sudden you had all of the stuff everyone was getting was not real. And, and the allure of monsters is that they're kind of real, they could be real. And I think now we've wisened up enough to automatically assume what we see is fake. So even if someone shows me like Bigfoot footage, that is a really what I'm gonna assume it's fake because I've seen so much TV that looks so real. How am I supposed to believe that that stuff's real? Because uh, TV's fake, so is that. So I think that that idea of entertainment that we become inundated with has be made storytelling obsolete, and in a larger scheme, made the idea of monsters in a traditional sense obsolete. And so I think that humanity's changed what we view as monsters, and the idea of the classic monster genre has changed a lot. Um, and so I think that nowadays there's a couple different things. I'm going to get into it right now. So demonization culture has taken over. 
where I think monsters used to be. Because everyone needs a monster. Everyone needs some fear. So one of the ways society has solved that is with demonization culture. This started right around the time where, when television and uh, the big screen started. If you look at the World Wars, um, propaganda became a huge thing. And you would demonize whether it's you know whatever side you're fighting against. Um, Americans make the Japanese look like these uh, ugly, scary creatures, and uh, they they would do the same to us. And you distribute distribute it around your country. And this idea of nationalism against the monsters on the other side was easier than trying to convince the population that they were real people. In reality, all war is is the elite saying, "Okay, we're gonna have the common people fight until the elite get to the place where they're comfortable seceding victory or defeat, and seceding victory and dis- or defeat." And so it's it's impossible to get an entire population. If, if if all uh, war mongers tried to get the population, whether the, it was the people going to war or the people at home, um, if they just tried to say, "Yeah, those are also regular people who have sons or da- and daughters that are going to war." It wouldn't have gone over well. And so as a result, I think we had that demonization started there. And it was the demonization of the enemy. The enemy, enemy, enemy. They're not humans. They're not humans. Belittle them. Make them seem different. And that, in my opinion, is an extremely slippery slope, one that we have not gotten back from. Um, And so that's where I think that started to shift. And so instead of the, you know, Sandman coming out to get you at night, it would be the, you know, Korean uh, guy who's coming to get you and bite your toes off in your sleep or some crazy shit like that. I think that's where the demon demonization started. And it's moved now. I, I think a good example, man, is with President Trump. Um, a lot of people don't like Trump because he's a bit he's a bit garish. He can be a bit ignorant in his public statements. And um, obviously most of the people who are on the Internet, a lot of it, is, it can be a little left-leaning. So you see a lot of the left really doesn't like Trump because... Trump's like the anti-left. Um, seriously, like Trump, a lot of, and it's not even what he's doing, but it's the way he carries himself and the things he says. He's very anti-left. Um, he's not PC in any format. Um, so you see Trump being demonized, and I personally think that no matter what side of that aisle you're on, it's, that's not good to do. He is the president of the United States, and all that it's done is made him, like, he's kind of, it's a, he's an easy target, obviously. He makes a lot of dumb mistakes, and so he's already kind of a laughing stock for the world, on top of the fact that they're scared of him because he refuses to do things the way that other presidents have done things. But it's a lack of respect that I find to be frustrating, because he is the president. Like, even if you hate him, like, I've seen even, like, Donald Trump toilet paper and uh, Donald Trump baby books, like, Trump's a big baby kind of thing. And I think with any president, I say, oh, that's extremely disrespectful. It's the office of the president, at the very least, that you need to respect. And so even if Trump's a shitty guy who says dumb, ignorant stuff, all that's doing is undermining that office, which is, at the end of the day, going to make things worse. Because then when the next president's someone that you like, and they start making fun of that person and doing the equivalence things, you're not going to like that. And so I think it's, it's, it's important that no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you have to respect the presidency or else, and respect the government in general. You can disagree with them. You can talk about them. But, um, I don't know, making fun of them for physical traits or things unrelated to me is, a, a, a cheap shot, and uh, B, it's not helpful to our country as a whole. All it's going to do is divide us more. And so I think this demonization culture is the natural progression of, you know, the idea of monsters being... Because monsters have kind of become outdated. Um, animal threats aren't real anymore. I'm not afraid of a coyote. Like, I'm not afraid of animals. Like, any, like, and even back in, like, the 1800s, people were still afraid of animals because there was a lot of unsettled territory. But nowadays, we're so settled everywhere that animals aren't really a scary thing. So we have to look at ourselves, kind of like that picture, Dor- the portrait of Dorian Gray. 
You have to look into yourself, look in in our culture, and the enemy, the monster, has to come from within us or around us. It can't come from outside of us. Um, and so I think that's where this demonization culture starts. And if you look at a lot of horror nowadays, too, it's it's a lot more human threats, the ghosts and things like that, as opposed to um, what used to be like kind of amalgamations of nature with, with man. That hasn't happened anymore. And so I think that that's, I guess, the way things have gone. And I, I'm really not a huge fan of it, like I said. I think it's... It's it's not good to defame and to demonize, um, but uh, it's really easy, I think, for politics to demonize people because we're about as literate politically as like humans were back when the printing press was when it comes for reading. Uh, most people don't know much about the government, whether it's by choice or not. Um, uh, this is interesting. I saw recently that... Um, Denzel uh, Washington, Denzel Washington, yeah, he uh, was recently in an, had an interview and he said that if you um, don't read the news, you're uninformed, and if you do read the news, you're misinformed. And I really thought that was great. Um, we don't really have any access to facts. If you're looking at any sort of news, it's going to be swayed. Uh, there are some good middle line ones like Wall Street Journal and stuff like that who are kind of generally trying to provide even news but most news sources fox and cnn being the obvious ones even stuff like the economist and stuff being maybe less obvious um they're editorialized and it's all very much like gunning for pro this anti this you can always tell um if you put even in front of like a third grader if you put uh a, like snippets of most of these things you can tell that even in the non-editorial section it's editorial news and most news is going for again it's about speed as opposed to accuracy you want to be the first not the best and I think that's a big issue. I think that this makes that easier. It's easier to, to oh, Trump passed this. Blah, he sucks. And then after a few, we go, oh, that actually helped you know, our economy or actually did this guy. But no one talks about that. It's about the, being the first. It's about having the title that's going to get you the hits, whether it's Cl Clinton is a this or Trump is a that. It's not about doing what's right. It's about doing what works headline-wise. So I think this demonization culture has... Uh, kind of invaded our way of life and I'm not a huge fan of that though I guess I'm not really in control of it either uh, you know everyone has to kind of stand up on their own and not take in the BS and not take that stuff in so I, I think that monsters are uh, I, I guess it's kind of a, a tough episode um, they're interesting they're complex they have a had a foothold in culture for as long as culture has been around, but recently they've lost their power. The internet entertainment, this new age that we've entered, has squandered and squashed a lot of things, and one of them is good old-fashioned monster-based fear. Good old holy God-fearing uh, stuff has been squashed out by entertainment, because I think entertainment has blurred the line of what is real and what's not real, it's also created that line where before that line didn't really exist. People couldn't really confirm a lot of things. Now it's pretty easy with the internet and with TV and movies. The, the line was drawn and the line was blurred by the same people. So it's kind of strange. Um, but I guess that's the way it goes. I guess it's just part of, part of the system. So uh, that's today's episode, I think. Um, monsters, the spookies, the heebie-jeebies, silly willies. Um, what was once a part of religion then became part of folklore, then became campfire stories, and now has become the current state of politics. Um, I guess maybe there's a law of physics stating that I can't have an episode without talking about politics, 
Um, I didn't expect to get there today, but I did nonetheless. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Nightcap Podcast by me, John Sherburn. Um, join me, uh, I don't know, next week, next couple days, whenever I feel interested. I want to do another episode on um, another aspect of human culture that's been around forever and is unlike monsters, it ain't going away. Um, so uh, without further ado, I guess... Uh, have a nice night. Enjoy yourselves. It was a great talking again today. I hope I taught you something. I hope you learned something. And if not, I like talking to myself. So this is fun. Anyways. See ya. Gliders. You guys know Bulletproof by LaRue turns 10 today? You know Bulletproof, that pop song from like, oh no. This time, baby, I'll be bulletproof. This time, baby, I'll be bulletproof. Yeah, it's a good song, right? 2009 was a great time for 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 pop music. You had Akon, a movie that came out, uh, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. Um, Akon's Beautiful, I believe. This song by LaRue, Boom Boom Pow, I Got a Feeling, My Life Would Suck Without You. A weird amount of songs go with the tempo of the song. It's a love story, baby, just say yes. Hell yeah. Jay Sean's down. Baby, are you down, 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 down? Um, what else? There's a lot of fucking good songs. Birthday Sex by Jeremiah. You gave me some that birthday sex, the birthday sex, the birthday sex. Well, it's day and night's nightmare edition. Day and night, the lonely stone seems to freeze my tonight. Party in the USA, hell yeah. It's a party in the USA. This is the longest outro I've ever done. <laughs> doing really shitty versions of pop songs oh my god I don't, no one listens to this fucking podcast anyways so if, if you don't listen to it then it doesn't matter but if you listen to it and you like this sign me to your record dude I used to get so many listens on each podcast and then I didn't do any for like three or four months and now I don't get any listens I mean I, I get some I just don't get I get a fraction of what I used to get but I've still done like 500 and I've only ever done like I don't know, 12, 15 episodes. It's not bad. I don't have any social media for it or anything. I got the handle, but I don't have any social media. I don't know, dude. I guess this is probably it. I've never listened to this far into this song before. Fun fact. I've never in my life heard this much of the song. Whatever. I hope you liked my intro today. I worked hard on the intro. Alright, that's gonna be it from it from me. I will talk to you later. Have a nice night. Doot doot.